Welcome to the Growing Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Terrence Taylor. He is the pastor at New Movement Church in Pasco, Washington. He's an international speaker and a church planter and currently serves as a coach for the Growing Young cohort. A couple years ago, I was pastoring a two-church district and I remember hitting the place where I had to be honest. I didn't want to vocalize it because it's kind of hard to vocalize, but I didn't like my church. And um, as a pastor, right, you know, you can uh, you can choose to, you know, sometimes in our structure and the way our churches work, you can kind of be seen as babysitting or you can kind of be just kind of see as passing time. You know, they expect another pastor to come and they may follow your vision. Um, for a while and then the next pastor vision comes in so I was upset I did not like the way things were going and I didn't like it and I was challenged by another pastor friend who basically said to me in a, in a short way said take have the courage to build the church that you are excited to get up and go to mm-hmm. I had to be honest about I wasn't even excited about going to my own church and we're on we have been on this journey since then it's about four or five years ago uh, and that's where our church now, we've changed our name. Uh, we've changed our worship time. We're basically a, a replant uh, uh, and a revision for where we are. And it has to do with the question we wrestled with is, uh, who's this church for? And when we looked around the room, um, we knew that the church needed to be, uh, first of all, it needed to be for the lost. We're all lost. But it needed to be a church where people were excited to come through, especially our young people, younger people and younger generations. And uh, that's kind of where that process started. So when you realize I can have change on a culture, right? How people experience God, how people experience the church, and you really make a decision to do that, change um, comes and you have to have the courage to do that. It doesn't mean you're changing the church, right? Because we don't own the church. It doesn't mean that. It just means the version of church that's here. So when I think about um, people who uh, I grew up with, you know, young young people that left the church, which with good reason, sometimes I feel like, Justin, you got to leave the church to find God. Mm. And people left the church. And I always thought about, well, if they wanted to go back, what church would they go to? Hmm. And I thought about some random church, you know, in the middle of somewhere. And here's this young adult who's like, all right, I'm going to come back. And what church do I want? Would, would they want to land into, right? Like what would be the ideal church? And so our concept has been, let's be that church that regardless of where they were, what they were going through, when they came, we were we were the church that was like, some parent was like, thank God you're there. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah. The, the first story that kind of jumps to my mind is the idea of like the prodigal son, right? Like you have this this home that is is kind of built to to raise and, and make sure that these children are doing all right, but then eventually one leaves. But what are we doing right now to make sure that they're felt, feeling welcome? And, and I think sometimes maybe we're, we're more interested in making sure that we're being taken care of, that we're being ministered to, that our, the styles and culture is something that suits us. But the reality is, is that everything that's the father has is already ours. And so why aren't we excited about, why aren't we looking for our wayward brothers and sisters? Um, in, in your experience, what have been some of the changes that you've implemented that have been really appealing to these prodigal sons and daughters coming back home maybe for the, for the first time? 
Man, that's a great choice of story because that is really kind of the heartbeat of where we've been uh, for the last two years, that particular story. And we have decided we're not going to be the older brother. The interesting about that story is uh, the older brother left too. Hmm. He just never left the house, right? Because the the text says that they both got an inheritance. Yep. If you go back and read it, they both got it. The brother, older brother didn't have the courage to leave. Hmm. He had already left in his heart. But he did, he just didn't have the courage to leave. So we have said when we looked at the story, the the positionality in that story is we said we are the servants. Wow. Right? We're not going to be the older brother. We are going to kill the fatted calf, and we always have this playful image of Bruno Mars on Twenty Four Karat Magic, right, <laughs> with all the chains and the slippers and everything. And we say our job is to throw a party every weekend. Ooh. And when, when, when the son comes home or when the daughter comes home, our job is to prepare the cat, fatted calf. Our job is to put the slippers and the robe on them. And that's what we've changed. That's the prioritization. I can't say it. The prioritization that needs to change. We're not the older brother hmm. complaining. Why is everybody rejoicing? Because they're not playing my favorite song. We Ooh. don't care about your favorite song. <laughs> It's true. It's it's it. The more the more churched, like deep season church people, are uncomfortable with what we're doing, the closer we know we're doing the right thing. Because we tell them it's not for you. We're not doing me. We're doing we, and we are preparing the fatted calf every week. And that's that change and that shift. We have I've seen. I remember never forget this. This a teen uh, teenager, uh, fifteen, and she comes on her own with her boyfriend. And uh, we've got a number of teens and young people like that. They come on their own. Mm -hmm. Nobody's taking them because they know it's a place that's safe and they know it's a place that the party is prepared for them. So that's been our change. That is awesome, man. If church was this kind of party mentality, bring out the fatted calf, bring out the gold chains and the slippers, like we're going to have a good time because you matter. Like, like already I'm, I'm more drawn to that type of an experience. I have to imagine, however, like you're saying though, a lot of the kind of the, the faithful, uh, you know, vanguards of the faith, they may not be so excited about that. They might not be so, uh, you know, gung ho about the idea of turning church into a party. So I know that you're speaking somewhat, uh, symbolically, but can you kind of paint that picture? What does that actually look like for a church that is prioritizing the prodigal, prioritizing young people, throwing this party? What, what does this actually look like? I'm, I'm sure there's not actually right. gold chains. There's not actually a, a fatted no. calf, you know, whatever the case is. So walk us through a little bit more of what that looks like and sounds like and feels like. Right. Well, it starts with, first of all, being the lost son. It starts with remembering what it felt like to be in the pigs, eating the pigs food. And the interesting thing about eating the food, it awakens, it awakened for the lost son, the, what he was used to and the food he was used to. And so what it looks like for us really is everything in that story where the father is outside waiting. We know that someone's experience, especially a young person starts in the parking lot. I mean, and if, and even if not just the physical parking lot, but the digital parking lot, right? Everything um, that someone sees to have what we created is windows into our congregation, right? Where people can see and look in, don't have to walk in, but see and look in and know. Because when people, we know, Richard says, when people pull up, they know. Um, it looks like 
making sure that our, first of all, we know what it feels like and remembers what it feels like to be lost. And we know what it feels like to be redeemed and to visualize every single person is somebody's person. Hmm. I've been in churches where I've been ignored. I've been pushed aside. It's been a party. Uh, you know, we, it looks like from the, from the door, from the parking lot to the door, we don't allow people to have a tag on tag conversation. In other words, if you're serving on a team or you're in the welcome, because our guest service is really important, you, they can't talk to each other. Like they know that. We don't talk to each other. <laughs> the most important person in the room is the person coming in. And it really starts from there. Um, it's practically looked like a change in our service. As I mentioned, uh, our service time is one on Saturdays. And part, part of that came from I had two churches, which is very odd, right? And in any other church context for a pastor to have two different churches. And so knowing that we could pick a time where I could be present because that was important. But also one o'clock is just a better time. Yeah. Um, They're going to wake it's up just so a better early. Time. Right. You got to wake up early. People eat breakfast. They have time with themselves, families and themselves. And then, you know, they come a little bit later. So practically it looks like how we treat people that come in, what our service time is. And look, our service time is one hour. Now, this is historically a black church. We just be honest about this. This is, has has those roots. So for me to preach in 25, 30 minutes is a struggle. That's a to miracle every weekend. 80, it's a miracle to do one hour. Uh, but but we had to make those changes. So it meant changing our hearts first, changing mm. our minds, and then everything else changes. Uh, our name was Pasco Ephesus Seventh-day Adventist Church. You couldn't spell that. I could give you 20 bucks to spell that. It'd be hard to spell, let alone hard to remember, let alone hard to type in, Pasco, whatever. So a name change. It looked like taking out the pews. All of those things uh, were what people see on the back end is that's what you did as a gimmick. No, that's not what we did as a gimmick. It came down to the core uh, saying, what do we say is important and really figuring out those values. And then from there, Seeing our seeing people the way God sees them, and say we're gonna love them back to life. That change has been what's made the changes. So it's been practical of saying who's important, um, and how do we show them how important they are. I, I I love that. I love that you're you're not just about finding the next gimmick, the next cool song or instrument that you can include in your worship, but it's going down to the heart level which I'm really curious about because as you started off saying that this church at its core, when you first started, at least your perception of the church, right, was that this is not a good church. This is not even where you want to attend as, as, as a parishioner, much less as a pastor. So how do you go about this process? Because so many churches, I think that like so many people feel this is my church. My church is the one that they don't care about young people. We're only caring about our own rules. We are the older son. We're not interested in throwing the party. We, in fact, we kind of get upset when people start throwing the party and <laughs> celebrating. So what does it look like to begin to unroot some of those unhealthy ways of thinking? And what does it look like to get to the point where even right now you were talking behind the scenes, your church is doing well so much to the extent that you're like, let's make another one just like it. Let's plant another church with similar DNA. How do you go about mm -hmm. uprooting this kind of toxic way of thinking and planting a, a, a brand new vision and, and kind of heart for people in this same community? You know, it's, it's something really hard that humans have a hard time with and it's honesty. Mm. It's brutal honesty. It's asking an honest question. Uh, and it, we, we had to start with that. Now, 
the interesting thing about our project has been we didn't just take a few people and plant something different. We actually relaunched the existing people, which meant it took a lot of work uh, with those who were there, our leadership team that was there. Uh, it's been a phenomenal project. Um, our, our head elder, uh, I remember the day we won him over. I remember the day he was won over. We were, uh, I was kind of always unconventional. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we would have our board meetings like at Starbucks or my favorite place was in the, the food court at the mall. There you go. Because I wanted them to like see how does this decision make any sense for anybody in this mall? You know, mm. like we had to kind of get out of the building in a sense in what we did. And I remember we used to have all these kids. Kids always play by our church or in the neighborhood. And man, they'd be skateboarding and yelling and screaming. And so we had our board meetings uh, in the church. Uh, there was a window that's our windows facing the street. And so we kind of have it in the back of the church because we'd like to kind of see the neighborhood. And I remember some kids, middle of our board meeting, kids are rolling down on a skateboard and it's loud. My head elder jumps up from his seat, right? And and I was thinking, oh man, he's <laughs> it's about going to down. These kids, right? <laughs> right, I'm like, oh my goodness. He jumps up, runs out the door. He's like, hey, what's up kids? How you guys doing? Let me see that trick again. Oh man, that was cool. Okay, you guys be, be careful out here. And I'm just like, wow. we want him over. Yes. And and I could tell you some other stories, but maybe I'll save it for another time. I got to tell you the movie story. Mm. Uh, tell me. Should I just tell you that story? Yeah, yeah. tell okay. me some of the movie story. So, so one of the things we did is we started, and I started inviting other organizations to our board meetings. Hmm. And uh, you know, I'm sure that was a very popular decision. You know, they were they were warm to it. Oh, okay. Which was interesting. You know, the key thing is warmth. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that. Let me make let me make this let me make this simple. As a simple strategy, what I love that Growing Young teaches is warmth. Mm. The people are attracted to warmth and warm people. A, a lot of what people see as resistance really is a lack of warmth. And they have forgotten what it felt like. Uh, so I'm going to tell you this popcorn story, story in a second. I got to tell you this other story. All one right, of the right. things we started to do is to terrorize our older people. We terrorized them with love. <laughs> okay. I, th thanks for the I clarification. Yes, I would call a, a, one of our sisters and say, hey, listen, I need you to prepare a meal for like 10 people. And I knew 20 people were going to come, right? 10 people, and we need you to come. They need to come over to your house on a, on a Friday night, Saturday night. Hmm. Okay, right? This is people who are, are resistant to change. Man, we'd, war, we'd wear those people out with love, man. We'd sh they'd show up 10 deep, 20 deep, three, four weeks in a row, right? And they're just cooking like crazy. <laughs> But what happens is they're warming up to these young people mm -hmm. and these young people are warming up to them. Right. And they're they're seeing the life because because I realized a lot of these older people were grieving the loss of their own grandchildren that weren't in church mm -hmm. and they were grieving the separation and their heartstrings needed to be reconnected. So that warmth got contagious. And we started with that. So we partnered with the Children's Reading Foundation who were giving out free books for Christmas and uh, what we said is they wanted to do like a Scrooge theme, a Christmas theme. I said, well, why don't we host a movie, right? You can give the books away and we'll ask the neighborhood people to come. So I told them yes before I really asked the church. And then I came to the church, said, we got this great opportunity. They were like, yeah, great. And so then they're like, well, I said, well, where are we going to play the movie? 
And somebody's just like, well, we got to play it in the fellowship hall. I was like, yeah, but the fellowship hall doesn't have that good a sound <laughs> as, the, as the sanctuary. And the fellowship hall doesn't have a bigger screen as the sanctuary. So they're starting to get to the point that I'm suggesting we play this movie in the sanctuary, mm. right? Thus, you notice I said the word sanctuary. Right. <laughs> and of course, of course, the argument is, well, we can't do that. That's holy. I said, well, the whole church is holy. So if we can do it in the fellowship hall, we can do it in here, right? Wow. Okay, okay. We got through that. And then I said, well, I said, well they're going to make a mess. There's going to be popcorn everywhere. I said, we can clean up the popcorn. Let's just give it a shot. So here we are. We're playing the screw. We're playing Scrooge. We're not playing, you know, the little lamb or, or something like that. We're playing Scrooge. 75 people from our community show up. Wow. Never been in the building. They show up. There's popcorn. There's drinks. Nobody spills any popcorn. And the church is fine. But that moment was so contagious, Justin. Mm. That felt so good for them to create warmth for people. It was, and it warmed themselves. And so uh, we call it experimenting in the margins. I was experimenting in the margins a little bit, but over time um, with the dinners and things like that, it just began to build that warmth um, that is needed. As you asked me, the first step, long answer, but the first step is the honesty about the need for warmth and creating it.